You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed. Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 102. Today's reading is from St. Paul's first letter to Timothy, chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Timothy, my son, the saying is sure. If anyone aspires to the office of bishop, he desires a noble task. Now a bishop must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, sensible, dignified, hospitable, an apt teacher, no drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and no lover of money. He must manage his own household well, keeping his children submissive and respectful in every way. For if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how can he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, or he may fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Deacons likewise must be serious, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then, if they prove themselves blameless, let them serve as deacons. The women likewise must be serious, not slanderers, but temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husband of one wife, and let them manage their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves, and also great confidence in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Our reading today gives us an opportunity to discuss the clergy in the early church, which, of course, still exists today. And one thing that I notice immediately is that St. Paul speaks here about bishops and deacons, but there's no mention here of the presbyter, or what we would call uh, more commonly priest. Is there a reason, Father, that this is omitted, or is there something lost in translation here uh, regarding the episcopacy or, or presbyters? Yeah, that's a very good question. There are really two things going on. First, as you mentioned, there is a little bit of something being lost in translation, but in addition to that, you also have some historical developments in the church hierarchy as the Christian community grows rapidly in the first few centuries from a very small group of people to much larger communities. So maybe you could just start with the translation part, and then maybe we can get into the historical development. Sure. So let's take a look at the three different terms and the three levels of hierarchy. First, you have what is translated here in the reading today as bishop, and that term is episkopos, which is also sometimes more literally translated as overseer. And this is the highest level in terms of what we might call the administration of the church, And I think something important to point out is that the bishop is the overseer, which has important implications. And what do you mean by that, Father? Well, what I mean is that the bishop in and of himself does not have authority. He is overseeing something, meaning that another owns the church, and he, the bishop, is simply exercising oversight over that. So to think about it in a different way, notice how Paul talks about himself in various parts of the New Testament, as being an economos. Well, what is an economos? In the home of the Roman patrician, which, you know, Paul lives in the Roman Empire, the patrician is the boss, the head honcho, and he has many slaves beneath him. But not all slaves are equal. The economos is the highest slave, the head of the household, but he's still a slave. 
He's not the master. And we see the same thing with the episkopos. The episkopos, the bishop, is not the master, but is the head slave over the church he oversees. And that's why in our Orthodox tradition, when a bishop is consecrated during that service, he's placed with his head beneath the gospel to show that his authority comes from his allegiance to the gospel and is not his own authority in his own right. His authority comes from his fidelity to the gospel. Very, very helpful example, Father, and appreciate the analogy there. So the episcopos or, or the bishop is the overseer. So what about the presbyter or priest and also the deacon? The term presbyter, which shares a similar etymology with priest, is often translated into English as elder. And so in the New Testament, particularly in the book of Acts, in Paul's first epistle to Timothy, his epistle to Titus, you see this term used, even though it wasn't used specifically in today's reading. And we can talk about this in more depth later and how it came to be more associated with the priests. But when speaking about presbyter, we're talking about elders, or literally old man. So it would be someone who is seen as being respected in the local church community. As you can see from today's reading, that was an important qualification, being respected for one to hold an official church office. Okay, so before we get into that distinction between elder or presbyter and uh, episcopos or bishop, uh, what about the deacon? Yeah, so the deacon comes from the term diakonos, or to be a servant. So the role of the deacon is to serve tables or to help in that matter. And in this case, you know, speaking about the divine liturgy in the Orthodox tradition and table fellowship to help during that service. And that's, of course, what deacons do today. And we see from the beginning in the book of Acts, when the first deacons were appointed, it was specifically to ensure that the apostles and the overseers, the bishops of the communities, were not too busy serving tables that they could not be spending time in studying and preaching and evangelizing uh, the word. And so that's where the role of the deacon comes in. Good. So maybe take us then briefly through the historical development of these roles. You've already highlighted what they were at the time of Scripture in the early church, but how did those roles then develop in the continuing life of the church? Yeah, so as I said earlier, the church began as a rather small entity, so to speak, but rapidly grew between the death of Christ and then the early 4th century, at which time Christianity was not only legalized but became the official religion of the Roman Empire. And so whereas Paul mentions these two roles in today's reading, the role of bishop slash overseer and deacon, we now generally recognize three roles. We recognize bishop, presbyter, and deacon. And again, just to be clear, Paul also mentions this presbyter in other parts of his epistles. Now, originally the role of overseer, which again can be translated bishop, was really more of a local role than it's come to be known today. So in other words, ancient bishops, the earliest, earliest bishops in the church, likely functioned more like we think of presbyters today. And of course, this makes sense when the church is, you know, maybe a few hundred to a few thousand total members and spread out geographically between many metropolitan areas. But as the church grew, eventually the overseer, the bishop, began overseeing more than what today we would call one parish community. And this becomes sort of a practical necessity for communities to maintain some form of commonality between them for an assurance that the same faith is practiced in each Christian community. Yet even then, we should note that the bishop was still fairly local. And what, what I mean by that is that the bishop would probably have known the names of most faithful Christians under his care. 
But eventually the church grew so big that this was just no longer practical, obviously, in many ways for the better, but, you know, sometimes we could say for the worse. Regardless, it's just, it's just a practical reality, something that couldn't be avoided. I mean, even in the United States, think about where there are a few million Orthodox Christians. You would need to have so many bishops in order for each bishop to know the name of each Christian under their care, that by the time you did that, you'd have so many bishops that no bishop could even know every other bishop's name. So you can see that the roles have to naturally, organically adapt as the church grows from this small mustard seed planted by Jesus and Paul and the apostles to a large tree, to borrow a parable of Jesus. Very helpful on that background, Father. And I was going to ask you uh, to kind of briefly discuss uh, more broadly the, the hierarchical structure of the church, but I think I think you've probably already done a pretty good job of that. Yeah, I think we, we sort of did discuss that, speaking about that historical development from a bishop who's really over one local community at the time of the New Testament to a bishop that's over an entire region, entire diocese or archdiocese, where it's really just impractical, as I said, for that bishop to even know everyone under his spiritual care. And that's why it's important to have a close relationship then between the bishop and the presbyter, because the presbyter today is like that old overseer, because the presbyter is really just responsible for his one parish community. He's not responsible for the parish across town or in the next state and so forth. He's primarily responsible for his own parish. But what I think is most important to discuss is the qualifications that Paul mentioned in today's reading, how important it is that we stick with those qualifications as best as possible, and that we avoid anything that would make the role of the clergy overly administratively focused or ceremonially focused, rather that we ensure we ordain men who are going to serve in the Spirit of Christ, who are not going to be lords and masters, but, as we mentioned at the beginning, overseers, realizing they must give account to the one master on how well they oversee and serve that church. And what are some of the things that you want to highlight here, Father? Well, all of the things that Paul mentions are obviously important, or he wouldn't have said them. I want to highlight a few of them. Uh, So first of all, Paul mentions that the bishop, and again, one would presume based on this historical development that this should apply to all priests as well. Paul mentions that he must be above reproach. We talk a lot today, you know, and we hear about it in the corporate world and in our churches as well, about the importance of transparency. And the reason we talk about that in the churches is because clergy have not always been above reproach, but clergy must do everything possible to not only remain in fact, but also to appear to be above reproach. And in addition, I would note how Paul mentions things like being temperate, sensible, dignified, the leaders of Parish communities need to act with dignity as they represent or are a reflection of the entire Christian community they serve. They must also be sensible and temperate because the priest and the bishop have to deal with many types of people and different personalities. So you have people with different priorities and expectations. So we must be sensible in the way that we deal with these natural conflicts and must be temperate in our interactions with parishioners. And then the final key component that Paul mentions that I want to discuss today, given the limited time we have, is that the man must manage his own household well. And I think that's something we should pay close attention to. You know, this doesn't mean that the clergy children are perfect. By no means. Parents cannot control or make decisions for their children. But how do they deal with these issues? How do they manage the household? Is the person sensible and temperate in dealing 
with his children? Does he know when to be strict or firm and when to back away, let the child explore or experiment on their own? Because these are all things the priest or the bishop has to learn to do with people under his care. And ultimately, the church is an extension of the household, and we see that reflected in the terminology that we use for the priest, like father, or with each other, like brothers and sisters, when we speak about our brothers and sisters in Christ. So this idea of caring for the household is something that we need to look at when we look uh, to ordain bishops and priests. Thank you, Father. In today's episode, we examine 1 Timothy 3 and the hierarchical structure of this church. First, we discuss the episkopos or overseer, the role that we commonly call the bishop. Father Aaron stressed that the bishop in and of himself does not have authority, but is overseeing the church in like manner as the economos, who was the highest slave or head of the household of a Roman patrician. And the role of bishop began as serving local communities, but as the church grew, this became impractical. Similar to what we see in the church today, bishops began to oversee entire regions with many individual communities who were led by presbyters. We also discuss the role of deacon, which comes from the term diakonos, which means servant. So the role of the deacon was to offer service in order to allow the apostles and overseers time to focus on studying and preaching the word. Finally, Father stressed the importance of the qualifications St. Paul mentions in 1 Timothy 3. Specifically, he noted that the role of clergy should not be overly administratively or ceremonially focused, but rather ensure that ordained men serve in the spirit of Christ, not as lords and masters, but as overseer, realizing they must give account to the one master on how well they oversee and serve the church. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, glory to thee, O God. Alleluia, 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 glory to thee.